0: All right, so Thanksgiving weekend, right? It's an awesome weekend. It means that it's fall, and fall is awesome for a couple of reasons. The first one being that it's football season, and everybody loves football season, right? Everybody loves football season. The other reason that it's awesome, it's my personal favorite, is that I get to break out all of my sweaters, and I have a very extensive sweater collection, it's my favorite time of year. Of course, this fall's not been super great for it because I'm sweating in the office all the time because it's been 70 degrees for the last month. But as soon as October hits, I can pull out my sweaters. But what makes it a lot of fun right now is Thanksgiving kicks us off into the holiday season. And the holiday season is one of the best times of year, right? I don't know what about you guys, but on Thursday, we went to my parents' house. We got to have a, a, a delicious meal. My mom makes these uh, yams, that I think are pre- most people probably make, but my mom makes them pretty uniquely, and, or, or maybe I should say my dad. My mom takes credit, but my dad is who really makes them. He puts this really thin layer of yams on there, and then a lot of butter and a lot of brown sugar and the biggest marshmallows he can find. And then we toast those, get that nice perfect brown marshmallow. It's delicious. It's, it's my favorite meal that we get, or part of the meal. Then we spend all evening playing games. Uh, I'm really competitive, so obviously that's really fun for me. And then Friday morning, some people are crazy and decide to get up and go shopping. I like to sleep in, I get up, we put the Christmas decorations on the tree. For my family, that means my kids put all the decorations on one branch, and then we decorate the rest of the tree, or I decorate the rest of the tree, while pretty hands me the ornaments. And then we go out and we see the Christmas lights that evening, It's just a great time of year, right? It starts the season off, it starts off this season of festivity. But what makes it a lot of fun isn't all of those events. It's being with the people that we care about the most, right? It's being with family. It's being with friends. And that's what we're going to talk about today. What we're going to talk about is what a family looks like in a Christian household. So you're going to need your Bibles. So if you'll pull them out, and if you don't have one, you'll notice underneath your chair, there's a white Bible. You can pull that out. It's on page 573, where we're going to be today. We're going to be in Colossians 3 in verse 18, But before we start and before we dive into that, there's a couple of things I want to take a second to to recap because we've spent the last two weeks talking about putting off the old self and clothing ourselves in righteousness and what that looks like. And the reason it's important that we recap that to start is because when Paul wrote this letter, he didn't write it with chapters and verses and headings, right? We've put that information in after the fact to help us find information quickly and easily, but that isn't how Paul wrote it. When Paul wrote it, he wrote it as one continuous thought, which means he started with that piece and and continued down into what we're going to talk about today. So, what we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks is actually in verse 12. So, if you flip there and look at verse 12, what it says is, is, it says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. These are attributes of someone who follows Christ. But it's not a checklist, right? It's not what we try to be, it's what we are as a result of following Jesus. See, what Paul's been talking about over the last couple of weeks is clothing yourself with the likeness of Christ. And when you clothe yourself with the likeness of Christ, these attributes are going to to be apparent in your life. They will manifest themselves in who you are. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, the real son of God is at your side. He is beginning to turn you into the same kind of thing as himself. He is beginning, so to speak, to inject his kind of life and thought into you beginning to turn the tin soldier into a live man. The part of you that does not like it is still tin. So what he's saying is, is as Christ permeates your life, as Christ begins to take over your life, this new self, this new being of who you are, this likeness of Christ walks away from the old self. The old self, who you once were in sin, is dead and gone. And that's what we've been going over, because it's important to make sure that we have the context of who we are in Christ before we start today's text, because a lot of times it gets taken out of context, right? So let's dive in and read the, read, read the verses today. So it says, "'Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord.'" Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So I told one of my really good friends that this is what we're going to be talking about today and that we're going to be talking about the first verse, wives submit to your husbands. And her response to me was, I don't really know how I feel about that, right? And I think that that's something that comes up a lot. I think a lot of times we hear people, when we hear this verse specifically, people's natural response is to say, I don't, I don't know how I feel about that, right? But the reality is, is Paul tells us in, in 2 Timothy that Scripture is God-breathed, meaning that the Bible, this is God's Word, right? And if this is God's Word, we don't get to pick and choose what we like out of it. It's either God's Word, and it's 100% accurate, or it's not. And if there are things that we don't like, and we're picking and choosing out of it, then it's, it can't be 100% accurate. It can't be God's word, or we can't believe God is who he said he was. So that kind of leaves us in an awkward position. And I think that's because verses like this have been abused over time, and because we have a negative connotation of what submission is. When we think of submission, we tend to think of somebody who's weak or a doormat, someone that's going to roll over at the first sign of trouble. I realized when I was going through this that I have never heard somebody say the words, do you know Steve? I really like Steve. Man, Steve is such a great dude. He is so submissive. I've never heard somebody say, oh, I love Sally. She's one of the best people I've ever met. She's so submissive. We don't describe people in that light because we tend to see it as a negative. And the reality is, is that from the beginning of the church, this verse in particular and verses like it have been used and abused by men to exercise control over women. And so it makes sense that naturally we wouldn't like reading things like this. We would read it and go, I don't know how I feel about it. So it's really, really important that we put it into the proper context because what it actually says is, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. See, what Paul is actually saying is that men should be the spiritual leaders in their households, and therefore your wives are submitting to that. He says it this way in Ephesians 5. If you want to flip back to Ephesians 5, it's about two pages back in your white Bibles. He says, In verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. See, what Paul's saying is that a wife submitting to her husband is a wife submitting to someone submitting to the likeness of Christ. So when your husband has clothed himself to the likeness of Christ and you're submitting to him, what you're actually doing is submitting to Christ. You're not submitting to your husband. My wife doesn't submit to Jake, right? She submits to Jake putting on the likeness of Christ and is submitting to Jesus. And that's a big differentiator, right? Because when you're submitting to someone who's putting on the likeness of Christ and clothing themselves with Christ, what you're doing is you're submitting to someone who first off is clothed in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, right? All attributes that are things that we would see as positives. But one thing that Paul is definitely not saying in this text is that women are in any way inferior to men. See, I think that's one of the problems with this verse is I think a lot of times we tend to associate authority with superiority, but that isn't what Jesus taught, and that isn't what Paul is saying. See, in verse 11, if we jump back up there, what, what Paul says is, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So what he is saying is that we are all equals. So what, when a wife is submitting to her husband, it's not because she's submitting to him because he's superior to her, because they're equals. She's submitting to him willfully. It's a choice. Because that's one of the things about submission, when we talk about submission. You can't force somebody to submit. If you force somebody to submit, then it's a takeover. That's not submission. Submission has to be something where it's a deliberate action. It's a choice. And there's probably not a better example of this than within the Trinity itself. When we talk about the Trinity, when we talk about God, right? He exists in three persons. He exists as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All equal, all God. However, Christ submits to God the Father, but they are equal, right? But Christ submits to God the Father. We know this because in verses like John six thirty eight, Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Then later in the Garden of Gethsemane, Christ goes away to pray, and what he says is, he says, my Father, if this cannot pass before I drink it, your will be done. That's submissive language. That is Christ submitting to God the Father, but the reason that Christ submits to God the Father is because he knows that his will is right and perfect. Now, that's a little bit different for us, because The reality is that most of us, I can't say it like that, I suppose, but most of you women who are married are married to men who can be jerks at times, right? So what this is saying is that this isn't going to be an easy task. It's not going to be easy because your husband isn't perfect and because he's sinful, it means that there are going to be times when he fails you and this becomes a heavy burden to submit. It's also going to be challenging because there are going to be times when your sinful nature is going to reject this, right? In C.S. Lewis, he said, any part of you that does not like this, when you're transforming into the new man, when you're putting on the likeness of Christ, any part that doesn't like it is still tin, right? The sinful nature looks at verses like this and says, I don't know how I feel about this or I don't want, to, I don't want this to be how it is because you don't understand what Christ is saying and what Paul is teaching about Christ. Now, there's also another big thing that's really important to remember here, and that is what it is not saying, right? Men, if you think that this verse is saying that in some way, shape, or form, that it gives you the right to demand and control your wife, you're not reading your Bible. You don't actually understand what it's saying, because at this point, it says, wives, submit to your husbands. It doesn't say, men, make your wives submit to you. It doesn't say that, but that's how we've treated it. See, this verse isn't telling you that as a man, you get to be in charge of the checkbook. It's not telling you that as a man, you get to go out and play golf while your wife stays home and say, no, I'm going to go do this. You have to stay home and take care of the kids. That isn't what this verse is saying, but that's how it's been used. And that's exactly why when we talk about verses like this, people go, I don't know how I feel about it. But what Paul actually says is in verse 19, what he actually commands husband to do is to love your wives and not be harsh with them. In Ephesians 5.25, what he says is, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. See, husbands, just like your wife is submitting to the likeness of Christ and therefore submitting to Christ himself. When you love your wife who is clothing herself with the likeness of Christ, you are also loving Christ. This is an act of loving Jesus. And men, we're called to do two things. Right? That verse, in the first verse, we learned that we're called to be leaders of our home. And then we're also called to love our wives as Christ loved the church. And how did Christ love the church? He died on the cross in the midst of its imperfection and disobedience. While we were sinners, Christ died for us, right? So what that means is, as husbands, you have to be willing to die for your wife. That seems pretty obvious. And I think for most of us, that's probably true. Most of us would say, yeah, I would take a bullet for my wife. But it means more than that. It means that your love should be selfless and it should be sacrificial. It doesn't mean just that you should be willing to die for your life. It means that your needs should come secondary to hers. You know, Jesus set the best example of this when he washed his disciples' feet. When he led them, he served them. Christ led through service, not telling people what to do. So that means our love is unconditional. That means no scorekeeping, which is a really, really hard thing for me, right? That means that I don't get to say things like, I changed the last two dirty diapers, it's your turn. Or I unloaded the dishwasher last, it's your turn to unload the dishwasher. Those things I can't say because that's scorekeeping, that's conditional love, that's not unconditional love. That's not to say that we don't tag team and take turns and that we can't both change diapers because that's the worst. it doesn't mean that I can't, I can't be counting how many times I did it before, and to, to ask her to do it, right? I just do what I'm asked. It means all of my actions have to be in her best interest. That's another one that I think a lot of guys struggle with, right? Because you come home from work, you know, whether or not your, your wife works or stays home with the kids, but maybe you come home from work, you've had a really hard day, and what do most of us do? You go sit on the couch and flip on the television, Right? Even though your kids might be screaming and they're running around, you could see your your wife's frazzled and had a rough day and she's been taking care of them. And yet you're going to watch TV just to unwind for five minutes. But that isn't what Paul's telling you to do. That isn't selfless love. Selfless love would be coming and saying, honey, I'll take the kids. I'm going to entertain them for five or 10 minutes. Why don't you go just take a minute, take a break? She gets to do it first, then you get to do it. The next piece of what's of what we're called to do is to be leaders in our home. And we all know the difference between a good leader and a bad leader, right? We've all worked for someone or played on a team with someone who was a bad leader, who told you to do something but did something opposite. Do as I say, not as I do. That leader is not a good leader and nobody wants to follow that person. But we also all know the signs of a good leader, right? A good leader is a person that walks into the room and doesn't speak but instead listens to everything that everybody has to say first. That's a good leader. A good leader leads through example. A good leader is someone that oftentimes they don't have to speak for you to know what they expect of you because they're going to show you. That also needs to be true in our homes. You know, in the Old Testament, we saw this as in in Israel, right? A lot of times as the leader goes, so goes the followers. And when Israel had a good leader, They stayed close to the Lord. They followed the Lord. They did what was right. But when they had a bad leader, they started worshiping false idols. So leadership is incredibly important in our homes. Tim Keller, who's a modern theologian and Christian apologist, says it this way. He says, headship does not mean a husband simply makes all the decisions, nor does it mean that he gets his way in every disagreement. See, as the head of the church, Christ didn't make decisions that were always in his best interest. Paul tells us in Romans 15 that Christ did not please himself, meaning that his actions were in the best interest of others. It was in the best interest of his disciples. It was in the best interest of the people around him. So when we as husbands make decisions, it shouldn't feel like we're making a decision. It shouldn't be made in a vacuum. It shouldn't be made in isolation. What it should be is it should feel like it was a collective team decision, Right? Because we should be, as leaders, we shouldn't be standing in front of our, ta- our, our home telling them where to go. We should be standing beside them helping to push them along. Right? That's what leading through service is, and it's a different type of leadership, and it changes and transforms our homes. This is also uh, evident in verse 19 when he says, Husbands, do not be harsh with your wives. Right? You can't be harsh with your wife because harshness is, an, is a part of the old self. Remember in verse 12 when we talked about the verse, the, 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 what clothing yourself in Christ means? It means being patient. It means being humble and meek. It means being compassionate and kind. You cannot be harsh and be those things. Harshness is a part of the sinful self. It's a part of our old self. It's a part of who we once were, but not who we are today. That's why Paul commands us To put off bitterness, to put off wrath, to put off anger. If we put those things away, then we can effectively lead our homes. This is true of also raising our children, right? In verse 20, it says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So in other words, we have a responsibility to our children to bring them up and raise them up in the gospel, Proverbs twenty-two six says, train up your children, or child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So what that means is your children should see the gospel and see the likeness of Christ in your life every single day. It's not bringing your kid to Sunday school and dumping them up in, in, in one of the classes and hoping that they learn about Christ there. That's not what Sunday school is for. They need to see this in your life every single day in all of your actions. Paul David Tripp says in his books that sin prevents us from doing this, though. What he says is that sin makes us more demanding than patient, and sin causes us to find punishment more than natural grace. So that means that things like teasing our kids too much is a problem, right? Right? That's a big problem for me if I'm 100% honest because I have, on more than one occasion, made my daughter cry because I tickled her too much, right? It also means that we can't be overly critical of our kids. You know, when I used to walk in with a bee, my mom would go, what is this? Be like, mom, that's a bee. I didn't go to that class as much as I should have, right? I would get in a lot of trouble for bees. I don't think a B is a bad grade. I graduated, right? But it was really hard because she'd come home. And My little sister always got straight A's, and so she, that was even worse. So we can't be overly critical of them because we're not teaching them about the grace of Jesus when we're overly critical. That doesn't mean we cannot be critical. We absolutely have to critique our kids. We have to help shepherd them along. But it means we can't be overbearing. It means that when we discipline our kids, we have to do so out of love, and not out of anger. You know, my son, uh, my daughter came into my bedroom on on Tuesday or Wednesday and said, Daddy, you need to come see Danny. I said, okay, I'll go and see Danny. And I walk out into the hallway, and Danny's face is covered in red lipstick. And we have a quick little laugh before I realize that there's a little bit on the carpet. We just recarpeted our entire house this year. It's all brand new carpet. And it's just a little mark, and I thought... I don't know how to get that out, and if any of you do, find me after the service, but as I am sitting there, I realize that lipstick was downstairs when he got it. That's the last place I saw it, so I immediately jump up and I run downstairs, and I see a giant hand, it's not giant, felt giant to me, a handprint on the wall, and then a handprint on the floor, and a big line of lipstick all over my new carpet in my main living space. And my reaction was not to be like, oh, man, kids, I lost my mind. I started screaming and yelling, and what good did that do, right? What I just taught my son was, when you don't get your way or when somebody breaks something that you like, it's okay to throw a temper tantrum. But that isn't how Christ responds when we sin, thankfully, If every time that I sinned, Christ came came down and started screaming at me and saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? I would probably have a hard time following him because that isn't what he did. That isn't what the New Testament teaches us. But instead what he says is, my love is not conditional on your behavior. That doesn't mean that there are not consequences for your actions. There are absolutely consequences for your actions. But my love is not contingent on those things. I love you regardless. And that's an important distinction when we're teaching our kids, that we will always love them even though they do things that we do not like. We are going to discipline them and there are going to be consequences, but we will always love them. And to teach them this is to teach them the gospel. That is to teach them what it looks like to clothe yourself in the likeness of Christ. See, when you're teaching your child what that is, you're teaching them about love. And that's what Christ does first for us, is love us. But I know what a lot of you are thinking, right? This all sounds well and nice, but this is not how real families work. This is not how my family is. Because the reality is that most of us didn't grow up in a home where our fathers were bringing us up in the gospel every day and teaching us about the gospel every day. The reality is, is that most of us have been or are in a marriage where our spouse is not clothing themselves with the likeness of Christ every day and consequently are abusive and mean and selfish. That's what what the reality is. The reality is is that this does not feel like real life. But it could be. It could be if when we clothed ourselves with Christ, we focused on Being like Jesus and not taking care of ourselves first. And I think that's why Paul addresses this in the order that he does. See, Paul goes on to talk a lot about the likeness of Christ and putting on yourself, putting on the likeness of Christ, and then immediately goes into talking about what it looks like at home. Why does he do that? Because the most sinful we are is in the privacy of our own homes. That's where we can get away with the most. That's where we get away with things because we're by ourselves. There's a lot of us in here that probably know someone, that from the outside looking in knew someone and thought, man, they look like they have it all made. That looks like the type of Christian that I want to be. And then within a few months, their marriage falls apart. They don't talk to their kids anymore. Because there was something going on at home that not everybody could see. but it was still happening. So when we look at these verses like this, what we have to understand is that left to our own devices and left to ourselves, we are going to fail. But that's why Jesus died on the cross. That's why he sacrificed himself, so that we could know what real love is is see this is not this is not a list of to do's see you shouldn't be leaving here thinking you know what i need to go home and i'm going to do this and i'm going to do this and i will be a better leader at my house you shouldn't leave here as a wife thinking oh if i only did this and did this i would be i would submit to my husband more effectively i shouldn't leave here as a parent saying i'm going to do this and i'm not going to scream at my children anymore and i'm going to be a better parent That is not what this is about. If that's what you leave here with today, then you've missed the whole point. See, the point of this is that the more we put on Christ, the more we are like Christ, the more we allow Christ to inject himself into our lives, the more it changes us So that when I'm loving my wife, it's not Jake loving Brie. It's Christ loving Brie. This is about Jesus. This is about Christ transforming who we are so that slowly by slowly we eliminate what's left of the old self, the tin in what we once were, and be like Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for all of the blessings in our lives, including our families and including the people closest to us. But we know, Lord, that those relationships break and we fall short. Christ, we know that Only in you and through you can we truly experience grace and mercy and love. And Lord, we pray that as we leave here today that we would not be focused on the list of things that we should do or should not do, but be focused on following you, growing to be like you. And Jesus, in this time of thanksgiving and excitement and joy. And as we enter into the Advent season, God, we just pray that you would be the sole focus of who we are and that you would transform us and transform our lives. Amen.